As we stand, let's pray together. Lord, oh, that we would have the good news preached to us. Come, Holy Spirit, and preach it to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning once again to all of you. If you have a Bible with you or in your pew, I invite you to turn to Isaiah 35. On this third Sunday of Advent, we continue in our sermon series in the book of Isaiah. And you'll notice when you get to chapter 35 that these 10 verses that Bill read to us a moment ago make up the whole chapter. 10 verses, one whole chapter, Isaiah 35. Isaiah would have given this prophecy 700 years before the birth of Christ, centuries before any of the events take place that we will be celebrating in a couple of weeks, long before the shepherds, long before the Virgin Mary, long before a stable in Bethlehem. And what Isaiah foretells 700 years before the birth of Christ is good news. This morning what we have in Isaiah 35 is the gospel according to Isaiah. Now Isaiah, if you've ever read his book, is a prophet who very often is used by God to proclaim God's judgment on sin, God's judgment on evil and wickedness. And Isaiah is also a prophet used very often by God to proclaim God's salvation, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. And that's what Isaiah proclaims to us this morning in this chapter. This morning's message is a gospel message. It's the gospel according to Isaiah. So whatever you've come in here with this morning, whatever burdens, whatever aches in your soul, whatever weight is weighing you down, you can lift up your heads today. You can lift up your hearts today. Because whether you've heard the good news 500 times or whether you've never heard it at all, we're all going to hear it today. We're going to hear the good news from Isaiah 35. The good news that everything that's dead, Jesus will make alive. Everything that's weak, Jesus will make strong. Everything that's broken, Jesus will restore. Everything that seeks to harm us, Jesus will turn it away. Every person who needs a rescue, Jesus will make a way. And every ransomed soul, every single ransomed soul, Jesus will lead them home. Now, there's a question I get asked fairly often these days, and it's a question that goes something like this. Jamie, how are you enjoying your new job? <laughs> and most of the time, I find myself answering it uh, in the same way, along these lines. I'll say, honestly, truly, from my heart, it's such a privilege it is such a privilege and a joy. It's a privilege to serve alongside such an amazing clergy team, staff team, vestry, volunteers. It's a privilege to worship with you and to go into God's word with you and to walk alongside you in your joys and in your, and in your sorrows. It's a privilege to dream together with you about God's vision for this church and to step forward in, in faith into what God is calling us into. But the greatest privilege for me above all, light years beyond anything I do, is to stand alongside weeping, bereaved, grieving family members at an open grave. That is the single greatest privilege for me by far. 
to stand with them as we commend the soul of a dear saint of God back to God, to stand with him as we commit the body of a dear saint of God to the earth. And the reason why that moment is the single greatest privilege for me is because that's when it really matters that this gospel is true. Because it's true, it means that one day that grave is going to open. And one day, because the gospel is true, that body is going to come out of that ground. And so we can grieve all right, and we can weep all right, but because the gospel is true, we can weep and we can grieve with hope. But if the gospel wasn't true, if the gospel wasn't good news, then I should just finish this service early, and we could all go home. There would be nothing for me to offer, nothing for me to say. But what we hear today from Isaiah 35 is that this good news is gloriously, wonderfully, victoriously true. Isaiah proclaims a gospel message to us today. We can trace the main points of his proclamations here by hearing three certainties. And the first certainty in Isaiah 35 is that God will restore us. God will restore us. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. Because everything that's described here in these verses is absolutely impossible but for God. Okay? Here's, here's what's impossible. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The desert, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Everything that's described in those two verses is impossible. How exactly can a wilderness, how exactly can a desert rejoice and be glad? Last time I checked, I'm not much of a scientist, last time I checked, deserts and wildernesses don't have feelings, don't have emotions. They're not consciously aware. But Isaiah says they'll be glad. And even more impossible, verse 2 says they'll be so glad that they'll rejoice and will blossom like the crocus so abundantly that they will rejoice and sing. This is the miracle of the gospel. That God looks at what's dead God looks at what's dry. God looks at what's hopeless. And he doesn't just speak life to it. He speaks such life to it that it rejoices and sings. Now, I've been spending some of my last week practicing with our kindergarten class from our Toro Preschool and Kindergarten. Right up here on this platform, we'll gather around the piano and sing Christmas carols, uh, preparing for their nativity pageant this Wednesday and Thursday at 9.30. If you're in for some... If you want some fun this week, I encourage you to come, 9.30, Wednesday and Thursday. And let me tell you, there is no shortage up here on this platform, when I'm practicing with them, of joy and singing and energy and kicking and leaping <laughs> and spinning around. There is no shortage of it. Isaiah is saying that God is going to break into a dead, dry desert, so much so that those places will sing like kindergarteners at a Christmas pageant. God reverses the curse of death. He reverses the curse of death and dryness, and he restores it into vibrant 
life. And God reverses the curse and turns death into life through Jesus, his son. Through Jesus, he breaks into what the Christmas carol describes as the bleak midwinter of the human story. He comes into the bleak midwinter. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. And he turns it into a blooming, blossoming, rejoicing singer. That's what God does. God turns dead things into vibrant things. That's what God does with death, dead people, dead relationships, dead hearts, dead marriages, dead churches. God makes them alive by the power of his gospel. I know a man who spent several decades of his life running from God, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he hurt himself, and he hurt his family, and he hurt his friends, and he got into everything bad and harmful that you can imagine. And then one day, quite to his surprise, and uh, he wasn't quite happy about it, he finds himself sitting in a church service. And then surprisingly, he finds himself being moved by what's happening in the service. And then surprisingly, he finds himself standing and amening the preacher. This was not an Anglican worship service. Um, <laughs> and then surprisingly, he finds himself recommitting his life to Christ. And since then, living a vibrant walk with Christ. What happened in that man's dead soul? In his dead, dry heart? God happened. And all of a sudden, something blossomed. It's impossible. Or is it? The good news of Jesus Christ is a proclamation of a miracle to dead people. Dead hearts. Dead relationships. Dead marriages. Dead churches. You know the story of Jesus coming to the tomb of Lazarus? Everyone there says, Jesus, you're too late. You're too late, Jesus. Where were you, Jesus? He's dead and he's been dead. They're, they're murmuring. They're saying, Jesus, the stench of death is in that tomb. And what does Jesus say? Roll the stone away. Roll the stone away. What does he say to Lazarus? Come out, Lazarus. That's what Jesus says to dead people and dead things. Jesus restores death into life. God also restores weakness into strength, verses three and four. Isaiah says, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Praise God. I once heard someone say that the saving grace of God, the saving power and mercy of God is not proportionate. It's wonderfully disproportionate. Picture a playground seesaw where on this side we have our weakness and our feebleness and our need and our brokenness and our sin. And on this side comes God with his grace and his might. And Isaiah says his vengeance and his recompense, our weakness and our feebleness is met by all of God, all of him. When I moved here to Northern Virginia 22 years ago, uh, it was a sudden move, it was a painful move, it was right in the middle of high school. Uh, I moved up here from the Florida panhandle, a very southern culture. Uh, the dust had just settled for me there and then all of a sudden I find myself here. Uh, Northern Virginia, Oakton High School, 
uh, all the cars are BMWs or um, I was used to a bunch of pickup trucks in my, in my old high school. And I, got, I became seriously, seriously depressed. Seriously depressed. And the only way I could fall asleep at night and the only way I could wake up in the morning was by putting a Rich Mullins song on in my ears called Hold Me Jesus. And the chorus had these words. It says, hold me Jesus, because I'm shaken like a leaf. You have been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? That's what I needed to know in my depression. And that's what I still need to know. Not that I can somehow hold on to him, but that he will hold on to me. And Isaiah is saying, God is going to hold on to you. God is going to hold on to you with all of his fatherly might and all of his fatherly tenderness, with all of his grace and all of his kindness and all of his recompense and all of his vengeance. That's the kind of God that will come to save you. So where do you feel like things are falling apart in your life? Where do you have an anxious heart? Where do you have feeble knees? Or where is that place in your soul, that ache or that place of shame that is so secret and so hidden that not even your best friend knows about it. That's the place. God will come and save you. Jesus said, if I am lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on that cross, he will come to me. Isaiah is pointing to the manger, yes, but he's also pointing to the cross. And he's also pointing to Jesus' second coming. He's pointing to the redemptive heart, the redemptive intention of our God to break through and to save us. And when God saves his people, he restores his people. Death into life, weak made strong. And now in verses 5 through 7, brokenness is healed. This is good news this morning. Brokenness is healed. In these next three verses, if you have it open in front of you, we see miracle after miracle after miracle. Blind eyes open. Deaf ears unstopped. Lame men leap like deer. Mute tongues sing for joy. The wilderness is a river. Burning sand becomes a pool. Thirsty ground is a spring of water. And where there once was danger from jackals, where there once was danger, the same grass that is at once smooth for them becomes a trap for them. This is God's promise. This is his promise. Everything that's broken will be healed. Every power of darkness will be beaten. I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in her book, The Jesus Storybook Bible. She says that one day God will make all the sad things come untrue. I love that. Over time, in time, all of the sad things will come untrue. This is not usually our experience right now. I don't know about you. We sing that song that asks and answers the question, do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But the hope of the gospel, do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. And do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. And what Isaiah 35 proclaims to us is that we will see all things be made new. 
God will restore us. God will restore this earth. God will restore every single thing that has been ruined by the fall. Everything will be restored. That's why we proclaim every Sunday in our liturgy the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And when he comes, he will make all things new. What Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. This is the first certainty we can grab hold of here in Isaiah 35. God will restore us. Second, God will make away. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. And a highway shall be there, there in the wilderness, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. So in the middle of nowhere, look at the heart of our God. Look at the redemptive, saving, merciful heart of our God that in the middle of nowhere where there is no way, God makes a way. And just the name of the way, the the way of holiness is a sign to us that this is not a way that we can make. It's not a highway that we can pave. It's a way that God himself makes. It's a road that he himself makes paves. It's his way. The way of holiness. In other words, the way belonging to the Holy One. Look at the miracles of our God in this chapter. Where there is no life, God gives life. And where there is no way, God makes a way. God makes a way for you. God makes a way way for me. He makes a way for us through and he makes a way for us to. God has made a way for you through your pilgrim journey on this earth. And God has made a way for you to eternal life with him. A way through and a way to. Just in these um, two verses, you hear echoes of the main themes of Isaiah here. On the one hand, you hear the theme of God's holy and righteous judgment on sin and evil and wickedness. The unclean, the lions and the beasts, they're not allowed entry on this way. This is for God's people, for God's ransomed, for God's redeemed. Who decides? God decides. We hear that theme of judgment here, but you also hear the resounding theme of salvation, the theme of God's mercy. Isaiah says, quote, the redeemed shall walk there. And catch this, even the fools, it says, even if they are fools, they shall not be led astray. Fools, I love that. The King James uh, Version calls them wayfaring men. We should put that back in the ESV. Even the wayfaring men and women won't be lost. In other words, this road is for fools, but for ransomed fools. How's that for a bumper sticker, a Christian bumper sticker for your car? I may be a fool, but I'm a ransomed fool. Because I'm ransomed, I may be a fool, but I can't go astray. God has so clearly marked this road. God has so clearly surrounded me and protected me that I will not be allowed to go astray. And that's for you too, for those of you who are in Christ. 
whoever you are, whatever your story is, whatever family you're born into, whatever your lot in life, God has made a way for you to pass through your pilgrim journey on this earth. And God has made a way for you to eternal life with him. He's given you a way. But just notice with me, this way is not pronounced to us in terms of directions. God is not our cosmic Google Maps. God is not our cosmic life coach, just giving us some goals to achieve in consultation with him to arrive at a better place. This way is also not pronounced by God in terms of a representative from God. God doesn't send his version of a college admissions counselor. You know, here's the boxes you need to check, the grades you need to keep in order to arrive at a certain destination. God himself comes down. There's no representative no directions, God himself comes down as the way. The gospel according to Isaiah here, 700 years before Christ, is the same gospel according to John, where in that gospel, in chapter 14, verse 4, Jesus proclaims the way to his disciples. He says, you know the way to where I'm going. He's saying, disciples, I know you've been good students. I know you've read Isaiah 35, where he talks about a highway in, in the wilderness, and he's saying, I know you've also been good students and you've read Isaiah 40, where he talks about a wilderness again. And he says to his disciples, this is Jesus talking, I know you've heard through the grapevine that John the Baptist just quoted Isaiah 40 and said it was talking about me. So Jesus is saying to them, I know you know the way, but then comes good old Thomas. He says to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How, how can we know the way? How can we know the way? Or to paraphrase Thomas, Jesus, what are, what are the directions to this highway of which you speak? Jesus, who can counsel us how we might find this way? And, and you can picture Jesus, perhaps lovingly uh, wanting to strangle Thomas, but <laughs> putting his arm around Thomas and saying, Thomas, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 700 years earlier, Isaiah proclaims a way in the wilderness, the way of holiness. Then John the Baptist comes along and says, there's the way, right there, right there, there he is. And Jesus stands up and says, yep, here I am. I am the way. And in Jesus, these themes meet. Judgment and mercy. Psalm 85.10, righteousness and peace. Kiss in Jesus on the cross. God himself comes down, makes a way. That's the second certainty of the gospel according to Isaiah. God will make a way. And finally, ultimately, and one day soon, one day very soon, God will welcome us home. Just our last verse together, verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord, listen to all these shalls. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon your heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So hear it again this morning for the 501st time or hear it for the first time. This gospel is true. This gospel is wonderfully, gloriously victoriously true. And because it's true, it means that all of the brokenness of this world and all of the war 
and all of the disease and all of the sadness and all of the abuse is not the end. And it also means then that all the joy of this world and all the happiness and all the kindergarten pageants are just foretastes and foretellings of the eternal and everlasting joy and happiness that is to come. We sing of our longing for this in Advent. That's why I love Advent. We can, we can articulate our longing for this. We sing, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. What do we sing next? From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. And Isaiah 35 says, clearly God will answer that prayer. God's gonna answer that prayer. One day he will lead us into our eternal rest in him. We'll enter a city he's prepared for us. We'll wear a crown of joy he's prepared for us. Just think about this. God has already got the measurements of your head. He has a crown of joy waiting for you. There won't be a second when you arrive on that shore where God has to say, okay, let me, let me, get, let me get my measuring tape out and get your crown ready. It's prepared for you the minute you cross over into that new city. God places a crown of everlasting joy on your head. This is true for every person here or within the sound of my voice who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ. This is your eternal destiny, gladness and joy. All of the aches, all of the aches that you carry in your soul will be gone. All of your wounds will be healed. All of your pain and sorrow will vanish. All of your weeping will cease when Jesus turns your mourning into dancing. Because of Jesus, our eternal destiny of gladness and joy is secure. This is the final victory that is promised to us. Isaiah describes this at the end of verse 10. He says that final victory results in sorrow and sighing, fleeing away, fleeing away. I love that, that, these, that one day these great monsters of sorrow and sighing that seem to tower over us in this earthly life, that seem to chase us wherever we go, that seem to sometimes burrow their way into our souls, these monsters of sorrow and sighing that one day will scamper away. Jesus is gonna do this to them like dust on a table. They will scamper away like little terrified ants until Jesus stomps his foot on them once and for all. Here's how Isaiah put it 10 chapters earlier in chapter 25, verse eight, that he, God, will swallow up death forever. He will swallow up death and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. I just sometimes, I just sometimes close my eyes just imagine what it, will, what it will feel like when Jesus does this. Just imagine, he will, he's gonna do that for you. You're gonna feel the fingers of Jesus on your face one day. Every one of you here has put your trust in Jesus. One day, you will feel the fingers of Jesus wipe away your tears forever. I say that because the Bible says it. Revelation 21, four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, 
for the former things have passed away. One day soon, this shall happen. And all the sad things will come untrue, and all the dead in Christ will rise first. Just imagine the scene. Just imagine the scene one day when millions of shafts of light pierce all the graves of those who God has ransomed. One day soon, that will happen. Don't you just want Jesus to return right now? (laughs) Doesn't your heart just long for Jesus to do what he's promised to do? He's going to return soon. Hear me. Jesus is coming soon. So be encouraged in your waiting, in your longing, in your weeping. I know so many of you are carrying such heavy burdens, such loss, aches in your soul. One day, those aches will vanish. This is the gospel according to Isaiah. Our Messiah, who has come once in Bethlehem, is coming again. And he will restore us. He will make a way. And he will welcome us home. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trumpet shall sound and trumpet shall sound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well It is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul.